into the contest. It's Thursday the 12th of August. Welcome to our afternoon sport deep dive. Tim Gilbert here. Shane Lee going to get the golf clubs out. I am, mate. I'm going to play on Moringa today with a very good mate of mine, Mad Mike Bailey. And he gets a bit chirpy, my mate. So I'm going to, I might introduce the old Will Chambers theory on him today and just get a bit rogue on him. Just get right in his head. Oh, I can't wait to get the feedback tomorrow. <laughs> Today on the show, we have all the tennis news with Jaslyn Hewitt. Our motorsport expert, John Thompson, is across the MotoGP. And Olympic runner Steve Solomon is back from Tokyo. We'll have a chat with him. All right, what a couple of weeks it was in Tokyo. Absolutely loved it. And how good is it? We have one of our athletes... On the line right now here for Afternoon Sport, 400-metre runner. Steve Solomon, how are you? I'm fantastic, Tim. How are you doing? Yeah, real good. Now, Steve, we'll kick off, mate. It was uh, overall from that Olympic um, squad team, fantastic performance. Yeah, uh, an amazing dis- display from the group, uh, especially the athletics team. And I think we really followed the momentum uh, that the swimmers had had given to us with such amazing performances by Titmus and McKeon and, and all, all the like. So... By the time the athletics started, we we had so much to look forward to and so much momentum to build off. And, you know, we took our largest team uh, ever to an overseas Olympics with the athletics team. And the number of personal bests and seasons bests uh, that we've achieved hasn't been done since since Sydney 2000 and never done before that or or anything close to, to what we're able to achieve in Tokyo. So I'm really, really proud of how the group performed over there and just know that it's going to lay an awesome foundation for a big 2022 to come with the Commonwealth Games and the World Championships. And then, of course, Paris is only three years away now for us. So mm. it's a very exciting position to be in. And I'm really thrilled for, for the group of, of guys and girls that we've got uh, in the team at the moment. You must be very proud as co-captain too, Steve. Very, very proud. You know, it's it's a it's an enormous honour that I wear. Um, but really, you know, it, it's the team that gives me the most energy and excitement. You know, we have calibre athletes like Nicola McDermott, you know, in the high jump, Kelsey Lee Barber mm. in the javelin, the young Ash Maloney in the decathlon, uh, all winning medals at, at an Olympic Games. And what that does is it sends a signal to the team that is seeing is believing when we can see it, when we can see the medals in front of us at the dining hall, when we can see them in the recovery center on the massage table, we can see what they're doing. We can (laughs) analyze them and we can realize that we are all capable of producing those performances as well. So I was just so impressed and proud of, of those three athletes for being able to deliver on the big stage and I'm just so excited with the momentum and energy that that's given to the team because I can tell you, Tim and Shane, that when we got back to the village and and you see the medalists there and you see the look in the eyes of everyone around them, it's all an, it's all a look of excitement uh, mm-hmm. and 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 longing to 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 get that that experience. So I know that um I know that the performances over in Tokyo are just gonna set an awesome, awesome foundation for the big years to come. And Steve, you obviously, uh, you're in London, um, previous Olympics. And um, so what was that experience like compared to this one? I'm assuming very different due to COVID. It's a safe assumption to say it it, it would feel different, but in honesty, it felt there were a lot of similarities. Okay. Um, you know, when we step out onto the track, you know, we we enter like tunnel vision. It's, it's hard to kind of describe whether there's, one person in the crowd or a hundred thousand people in the crowd, like they were in London, you know, when, when the starter says on your marks for me, you know, everything kind of goes into a blur and I'm, I'm just in this tunnel vision state of focus and almost like a meditative state. So 
there were in terms of the racing, I didn't really notice the fact that, you know, there were no crowds, um, you know, and I think the level of performance that we saw at the Tokyo Games suggests that, you know, from an athletic standpoint, everything goes into this tunnel vision and we're able to deliver, um, you know, regardless of how many people are physically in the stadium. So from that point of view, the, the games were, were quite similar. Where I think things were a little bit different is, you know, it's, 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 it's not as fun when you're not performing in front of family and friends. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's something that's really special about the Olympics is to be able to bring the people who are so much part of your journey with you to the final destination. So I think that's where, you know, not having my parents and and sister um, in Tokyo, as I did in London and family and Mm -hmm. friends um, all there that, that created a little bit of separation between the two experiences. But in terms of, the quality of the village itself in Tokyo was in exceptional. Uh, the quality of the volunteers, like the Japanese are the happiest, mm. most helpful people I've ever met in my life. Um, whether that was a volunteer helping you get on a bus to a track or one directing you from under the stadium back to the warm-up track after your race, they were just so full of energy and, and life. And I think, you know, that was also very true of London. So yeah. although on paper, it, it, it feels like there should be a lot more differences, the games for me felt actually very similar. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. And it certainly was the case sitting on the couch back here. You really buoyed the spirits of a nation and congratulations to you running a personal best to get into the semifinals. Missed that final by an absolute whisker, but a brilliant performance by yourself in sweltering conditions. And I just hope you're there in Paris. I know that you're going to make a decision day by day but Steve, thanks for coming on Afternoon Sport. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. Yeah, and Steve, if you ever want to see Tunnel Vision live, um, see Timmy Gilbert lining up for a beer. That's, that is pure focus. Thanks for your time, <laughs> mate. Particularly after lockdown. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> see you, mate. Coming up on Afternoon Sport, all the latest tennis news. It's Jaslyn Hewitt. It's time to talk tennis. Jaslyn Hewitt, there's a stack about. Lots of players pulling out. And Nick Kyrgios, he's back playing, but he's not really convincing us of anything at the moment. No, well, we've got the Toronto Masters on at the moment. I think the highlight from what we were discussing last week was uh, Nick Kyrgios. Unfortunately, he did go down, but uh, he did have a little bit of a spark in the belly out there and got a little bit frustrated in in the uh, fourth set at 4-all when uh, his opponent, Riley Opelka, he thought actually his foot touched the net and he, he didn't get that net cord disqualification there. So the, the point would then go to Nick. So, But we did see him fire up, I think, was a positive. Jesse, I don't mind that. I actually like to see when he's got a bit of fire in the belly. What do you think? Yeah, again, I, I, it's shown that he's got that passion and hopefully he's had a great week of uh, training and moving into Cincinnati next week before the US Open. He had a big crowd there and they were jeering him on. So um, all that entertainment out there would really suit Nick for sure. Another thing we've got to look forward to is um, – been some great banter between Coco Gauff, the uh, American youngster coming up. In an interview, she wanted to know who was her favourite ATP player and who does she want to be friends with. So her answer with that one was Nick Kyrgios. So it looks like we may have a star-studded mixed doubles event during the Australian Open. So something else to look forward to in January. And Jazz, his sister, Nick's sister, is on The Voice on Sunday night. And look, there's a whisper that she's going to dedicate – a song to Nick um, by Ugly Kid Joe, I Hate Everything About You. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, Halimar Kyrgios is going to be on The Voice, I think, on this Sunday. So it'll be very interesting to see how she goes on that. She's had her own dancing um, and Broadway career herself. So um, she's back in in Canberra and doing her thing. But, uh, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how she goes on The Voice now. Yeah, talented family, aren't they? Now, it's an interesting lead-up, isn't it, to the US Open. It's three weeks away. At this point, they're saying uh, full crowds in New York. But, you know, Nadal's pulling out a lead-up events. Djokovic is pulling out a lead-up event. Serena and Federer, a number of them. Yeah, I mean, you can see this whole year is what is taking a toll on the players and having that Olympics in there as well. Usually you've got the four uh, majors. Now they've had to try to peak for five majors in, in 12 months. So it is definitely challenging. And I think the thing that we've been enjoying is seeing these older players still continue to play. Uh, they are well into their 30s or 40s even with Venus and Serena and Federer all, all around the 40 years of age, which is very unheard of. I mean, we were shocked with Andre Agassi back in the day when he was pushing it up there. But to have so many um, still challenging for Grand Slam titles, not just participating in them, but really being those big names, the whole year being so full in that calendar, it's it's hoping that they can peak for US Open and look after their bodies. Yeah, it's definitely a, it's definitely a mind game, um, tennis, particularly at, at the elite level. And I see Ash Barty's mindset coach is now going to go to help out the Broncos next year. Yeah, so well, Ben Crow is hopefully going to uh, do some work with the Broncos. They're currently, what, uh, second to last on the ladder? So hopefully he'll be able to work his magic like he has with with Ash and I think understanding what those pressures are and prioritising and finding probably the love of the game and that passion. Um, you always hear Ash talking about her team and, and that's her strong mindset when she's coming into all the pref- press conferences. It's working as a team. So hopefully that will be able to help the uh, Brisbane Boncos moving uh, up the ladder there. But uh, I know we've got my my Lebanese cousin, Joe Weeby that's already done a mm. bit of that, the uh, the league whisperer. Yeah, Joe, he's, he's, he's helped a few of those players uh, lift. And uh, look, uh, sometimes, particularly in the world we're living in, some of these young sportsmen, they need a calming voice in their ear, that's for sure. Now, uh, just finally, Jazz, a few other results out of Toronto? Yeah, so it's been fantastic news um, overnight with uh, James Duckworth. So he qualified. He's number 85 in the world um, and he just took over uh, or beat Yannick Sinner, the uh, 16th seed, the the young Italian coming through. So 6-3, win there for James Duckworth. He's now got to face the number one seed being Daniel Medvedev, but I think it's a fantastic run for James over there. On other news, we've had Alex Dibinar unfortunately go down down 6161 to Nicolas Basil Lasvili. Yeah, the, the ten, there's not a lot of Smiths playing tennis. <laughs> So, yeah, really disappointing. Um, Nicolas had some – served really well. Alex's service percentage, first service mm. percentage really let him down. I think he's just got to get some matches under his belt. Hopefully he's uh, all over the uh, COVID-19 and after he's had that and missed Tokyo. So it is one of his first matches back. But, um, yeah, we really need to see him get some wins under his belt next week in um, Cincinnati. Thanks, Jazzy. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Have a great one. Coming up, we're all about two wheels in motorsport. John Thompson looks at the world of MotoGP. PlaySport is calling Game On for a new way to play, a free platform to explore and be inspired to connect to thousands of sport, rec and well-being activities in your community. Just go to playsport.com. PlaySport, whatever moves you. 
time to talk a little bit of motorsport and of course the F1. They're having a bit of a practice at the moment, the middle of a four-week summer break. So it's all about the MotoGP. John Thompson, Valentino Rossi retiring. What a, a legend of the sport. Absolutely. Look, you know, I can remember watching Valentino Rossi when they used to have Grand Prix at Eastern Creek. Mm. When he first debuted uh, back in the mid-90s, running around in the 125s, winning a prodigious talent, and then he stepped up to 250s, won that, and then into 500s, which became MotoGP. He's been around for so long, you know, since he was a 16-year-old. He's now 41, 25 years in top-level motorcycle racing is incredible. But, you know, probably the writing's been on the wall for the last 18 months, two years, just hasn't been able to get those results and uh, he's going to start his own team. He's still going to be around Moto. He's talking about possibly doing some car racing, maybe uh, German Touring Car Championship or uh, TCR uh, Touring Cars in Europe and maybe even some rallying. So Valentino Rossi won't be lost to motorsport. An incredible rider, uh, incredible grit, and someone that was so hard to beat when he was at the top of his game. And Tomo, where does he stand in terms of all-time greats? He's, I think, one championship behind the great Giacomo Agostini, fellow mm-hmm. countryman of his. I think he won eight world championships. I think Valentino Rossi's won seven. So gotcha. okay. he's up there in the pantheon. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Jack Miller, silly error. Absolutely. He was looking at a very strong finish in the Styrian Grand Prix. That's the Styrian Grand Prix. I did hear on a radio station on Monday that it was the Syrian Grand Prix. I think they might have a bit of trouble <laughs> running a Syrian Grand Prix. Of course, named uh, after. Uh, there's so many one-liners there. We will we'll, we'll let them go. I find it hard to bag them. I had St Kilda <laughs> playing North Sydney once, so uh, I, I can't say much. Uh, it was the Styrian Grand Prix. The Styrian Mountains, of course, on the same track that the Formula mm. Ones ran a couple of uh, a month or so back. Uh, two races in a row last weekend, the Styrian this weekend. It's the Austrian Grand Prix. It's a very difficult track for Moto uh, GP bikes. It's sweeping and fast and reopening corners. And Jack Miller was looking really good. He was very lucky that he actually got a, a second bite of the cherry. They had a, a rerun of the start because on the first lap, a couple of backmarkers, Dan, Danny Pedrosa and uh, Lorenzo Salvadori had a very fiery crash at turn three, which stopped the race. They restarted it. Jack Miller got a much better start after he was stood up on the, on the first corner in the first, uh, first run. And he really blasted through and was actually leading the race for the first half dozen laps before he was um, overtaken by his Mm. Ducati rival from the team that he left last year, the Pramac Ducati privateer team, uh, Jorge Martin. And Jorge Martin showed everyone a clean pair of heels and won the race. Jack Miller was looking good for a potential podium position. He was battling with uh, Fabio Quattararo, the, the French rider, on the Yamaha, and unfortunately, with 10 laps to go, uh, Miller threw it away. He probably would have been um, up into fourth in the championship, uh, maybe even third. He lost uh, potentially 16 points uh, in that fall. So he's back in fifth on 100 points and 72 points behind Quattararo, who now leads the series, which, you know, it's going to be pretty hard to chase down in the nine races remaining in the, in the series. I just love that name, Jorge Martin. I hope he wasn't named after his mum. Now, listen, um, <laughs> is, is Remy Gardner, he still continues to impress and lead Moto2. Yeah, well, he um, he actually was able to hang on to fourth place in the Moto2 race on the weekend. He did look like he could get a podium as well, um, but he just made a little mistake. He said, coming down the very fast part of the back, back uh, straight of the, the track at uh, 
the Red Bull ring in Spielberg. He pulled out of the slipstream of the bike in front and it caught him unawares. He really um, stood the bike up and that meant that he lost third place and had to settle for fourth, but he still leads the championship well ahead of his uh, teammate in second, uh, and uh, Ralph, Ralph Fernandez. And that means that uh, he's got a 35-point lead with nine races to go, looking pretty good. And his dad, Wayne Gardner, was there on the weekend, and he had a just a pained look on his face when he almost threw it away when he lost that third place. But Remy Gardner's looking pretty good on the KTM. And, of course, he's got a ride next year in MotoGP on a KTM factory bike. So that's looking pretty good for mm. the continuation of that mm. Gardner dynasty in MotoGP. Mm. Wayne Gardner, get a proper job. I still remember <laughs> that song. John, it's always good to chat. Your manly side are doing all right. Uh, we will talk real soon. They couldn't have beaten Melbourne last weekend. Good on you, Tomo. Thanks, mate. That's it for Afternoon Sport today. Make sure you hit follow or subscribe wherever you listen. A big thank you to Steve Solomon, Jaslyn Hewitt and John Thompson. And thanks to our sponsors, Shane. Yeah, xblades.com.au. And, of course, our wonderful producer, Mr Dan McHugh, will be back tomorrow for your daily dose of sport. We'll see you then, guys. Take care.